that old red flat top, smile on his face. You want to learn about Jesus? Well, you come to the right place. Here comes Rusty. Here comes Rusty Kennedy. Woo! Well, he's the pastor to the youths. That was so appropriate for right now because we're starting this Jesus thing, but the truth of the matter is, I'll get through this here in a second, my friend Phil Jacoby sang that and wrote that, and uh, last Saturday he passed away, he's with Jesus. So uh, I don't know if you, you know how much that you ministered to him as a group. When we first started Levener back in 2007, uh, I had left Northside, and he was the associate music minister there and was dealing with alcoholism and left staff and uh, soon after that. And in 2009, this group of people, this community, uh, sent Phil to rehab in Georgia. Like, we took him down there and literally paid thousands of dollars. Some of you that were here uh, probably remember that because Phil was here uh, several times doing music for us at that time. But um, he went through rehab and he learned his identity. He learned exactly who he was in Jesus Christ uh, to be able to read his journal and to to know that um, he still struggled with the, his addiction even when he came back. Uh, was rough. It's hard. But understand, uh, we live in a fallen world and we're in this battle. There's no question that we're in this battle with evil. I talked with a uh, family this morning just about the, the spiritual warfare that we're in and how the evil one knows our buttons and attacks us in different ways depending upon what we're doing. And uh, Phil lost that struggle, but uh, he, he won the war. Because he knows Jesus, and he's redeemed, and he's forgiven, and he's holy, and he's with the Father in his very presence right now, and I'm thankful for that. So as Keith was praying, um, just pray for his family, just pray for Phil and his kids. Uh, he's 50, 55 years old, getting ready to turn 56, incredible musician, uh, and obviously he wrote that out of fun for me. And I'm thankful for that, but just thought it was appropriate. So, Lord, uh, thanks for Phil. Thanks for my friend. <clears throat> thanks for uh, letting us have the opportunity just to minister to him through his struggles and through his victories. And um, let's pray for the family right now that you just give them peace. Pray for his mom. Just uh, love on Marlise and hold her and uh, just comfort her. But, Lord, we love you, and we thank you for your presence here with us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, here we go. We're going to start into the Gospels. That would be Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John of the New Testament. The New Testament. I would say that 90 to 95% of the Gospels is part of the Old Covenant. I didn't say Old Testament. I said Old Covenant. 
because Jesus will teach Old Covenant throughout his ministry. And uh, once he has died on the cross, he ushers in the New Covenant. So we sit here and we talk about the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. What is the Old Covenant? You can literally say there's two covenants, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, or you can say there's four covenants, or you can even say there's eight covenants. To list those off uh, quickly for you, there is the uh, Edenic Covenant. This is a conditional covenant that was made with Adam. It was made with Adam in the garden that, here, we're going to let you name the animals and you get to do this and there's several things. I, I really think that when I'm done with this, this gospel journey that we need to go back and, and literally break down these covenants and it would be a cool thing to see how they're conditional, who they're for. Uh, it would probably help explain a lot of things for you biblically. But Jesus or God made this covenant with Adam while they're in the garden. And one of the things that was conditional about it is don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which therefore was the problem. There was also the Adamic covenant that was made after the fall, and this was that we each come from that same seed that Adam produced, and so even though this covenant was made with Adam, we have to deal with the, the outcome of that. And part of that being with Eve, her giving childbirth and having pain during that childbirth kind of leads you to believe that at one point before the fall, there was childbirth without pain. But then the scripture says, as soon as the child is born, there is joy and that pain of childbirth goes away. But this was all a part of the Adamic covenant. And then there's the Noahic covenant, the one that was made with Noah. Obviously, uh, there's things about that that you can identify. That would be the rainbow, that God would never flood the earth again, never never wipe out uh, that humanity again, and he made that promise. So that was a covenant made with Noah. There's the Abrahamic covenant. This is a covenant that was made with Israel that you will have many generations and many people uh, that follow you and you will have this land and so forth. There is the Mosaic covenant. This is the other conditional covenant that if you follow these laws, these rules, then I will bless you. I will bless your land, I will bless your people and do all these things. But obviously, this was the law, this was the Ten Commandments, this is the things that the Israelites couldn't live up to. Is the Mosaic Covenant. Then there's the... My friend Bob, or not Bob, but Fruchtenbaum, what's his name? Arnold, Arnold Fruchtenbaum named this covenant the, the Land Covenant because theologians have labeled it as the Palestinian Covenant and now you're talking about the land of Israel and this is one that will be fulfilled in prophecy to, to come but obviously with the whole mess in the Middle East right now it's, it's, it's hard to label it any kind of geographical label so we've called it the land covenant and that also is made with Israel the seventh covenant would be the Davidic covenant this is one that uh, God made with David that his lineage would be on the throne 
uh, he continued that through Solomon, and it also said that the Messiah would come through David, which we find is true. And then, obviously, the last covenant is the new covenant. And again, this was made with Israel. This was made with the people of Israel uh, that he said in uh, Ezekiel and, and Jeremiah, he talked about them having a, a, a heart of stone, an evil heart. And then he comes back and says that I will take that heart out of you and replace it with a, with a new heart and make you a new person. This is the promise of the new covenant that he made with Israel. Fortunately for us, as Paul says in Romans, that we are grafted into that covenant, that we are grafted into that new covenant with them, with the Israelites. So now, let me take you back real quick, because this is just kind of a, a preface for us getting into the Gospels. It's important for you to know, in that Adamic covenant that was made with Adam, and of course all humans played out with that, uh, Genesis 3.15 is a huge verse. He says, I will put hostility between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. At this point, God is talking to the serpent, the evil one, and saying that there is going to be enmity, there is going to be hostility, there's going to be rage between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. That right there is the very first scripture in the Bible that tells us that there is a Messiah to come and he's going to go to battle with the evil one. He says, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Talking about he will strike your head and he will strike your heel he, and, and you will strike his heel talking about at the cross, at the cross, Jesus was bruised, but he wasn't broken. He wasn't killed. He, like, took a blow, but he wasn't killed. And it says also that he will strike your head. You take a blow to the head, it is a fatal blow. It will kill you. And this is exactly what Jesus did when he rose from the grave, and it will play out in the future when he cast Satan into the lake of fire. So Genesis 3.15 is really our very first verse in the Scripture. You're like talking the first book of the Bible, Genesis 1, 2, and 3. There it is. There's a Messiah to come. So all these people that fall from Adam and Eve are looking for this Messiah that's going to come and save them and reconcile their relationship with the Lord. The Old Testament prophesied about the coming of this Messiah throughout the whole Scripture. There were several clues that God had given his prophets over hundreds of years about who and when the Messiah would be. And God brought these things to pass in Jesus as we will discover as we go through the Gospels. The ancient... Um, this is, this is kind of an interesting part here, and, and I look forward to like getting to this point in the passages. But the ancient rabbis had this theory about the Messiah and, and grouped miracles and, and into messianic and non-messianic miracles. The messianic miracles were a list of miracles that could only be performed by the Messiah. 
And obviously, the non-Messianic miracles could be performed by the rabbis or other people that were there. Their reasoning meant to them that the person doing these miracles would be the promised Messiah. In other words, if they could do these three messianic miracles, there's no doubt in their mind that this person would be the Messiah. Those miracles being this. Number one, healing a Jewish leper. Two, casting out a demon from a mute person. Three, healing a man that was born blind. You see, the healing of the leper miracle was reason because it had never, ever happened to a Jew since the episode with Miriam. Further, the Mosaic law prescribed the law for investigating healing and ceremonial requirements for one who was healed, but not a method for healing. Like, you can go back to Leviticus and you can look and read all these things, these Levitical laws of how to deal with such things as leprosy, but it never talks about the healing process. And so therefore, if there ever was a Jewish person that was healed of leprosy, then obviously the Messiah was the one who did it. Then there was the healing of a man that was born blind, uh, but it was also because it had not been known to happen, and it was reason that the Messiah would be able to do this. They literally had people that were born able to see, then became blind, and then were healed, but they never ever saw a person that was born blind healed. And the casting out of a dumb demon came about because of the rabbi's methodology for dealing with demons. They would start a conversation with the demon, get the demon to name himself like they would literally ask the name of the demon inside. And then they would cast the demon out with the use of the demon's name. Obviously, this would not work if the person is mute. He could not speak. One that could not speak and was possessed by a demon, obviously you could not call out by name. So now you've got three messianic miracles that are identified as the Messiah. This is the Messiah. We'll look for those as we come across the Gospels. Uh, I would say, I'll tell you this. The four Gospels, they make up 46% of the New Testament. There's a couple of books that you can look at. There's A.T. Robertson's book, uh, A Harmony of the Gospels, and also Thomas Gundry. He's, uh, his version is the New American Standard, and it's also A Harmony of the Gospels. But what, what we literally have done here is you take the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you lay them side by side, and you're going to see that some of the verses in Matthew are the same verses that are in Mark, some of the same verses that are in Luke, and some of the same verses in John. They will repeat themselves. And these harmony of the Gospels are great at taking them and laying them side by side so that you can see them reference for reference for those of you that are interested. 
Now let me talk about the uh, four books themselves. First of all, there is Matthew, and we know that Matthew is a disciple. We also know that Matthew is a tax collector. That's what he did. That's what he did before he became a disciple. If he's a disciple, now I'll make sure that everybody in the back can hear this too, those that are sitting around the fireplace, because uh, this was a discovery for some of them back there. They're waving at me so they can hear. Uh, Jesus was a Jew, all right? There, I said it. Jesus was a Jew. If you never knew that Jesus was a Jew, you do now because I just told you. And all his disciples were Jews as well. So Matthew, being a disciple, is a Jew, and he actually wrote his book for the Jewish people. That was his audience. His, he, he was there in Antioch and at some point I'll pull out my Glow Bible and show you the different locations. But his whole idea was to point that if I'm going to write to the Jews and I want them to know who Jesus is, I want the Jews to understand that he is absolutely the king of the Jews. Him being the king of the Jews is what got him in trouble and crucified on the cross. But here's, here's what you have to understand. Look at the date. Let's talk dates for a second. If we can determine that Jesus was born not in, there is no zero, okay? There's no zero year. There's 1 B.C. and there's 1 A.D. But they tried to like split the time here on earth because of Jesus' birth and their calculations were wrong. Because we know that Herod was alive and Herod was like looking for Jesus when he was a baby. But then at some point around 4 B.C., Herod died. And so therefore we know that Jesus was born somewhere between 4 and 6 B.C. Based upon history. All right. So if Jesus, let's say if Jesus is born in 5 B.C. And then we... Uh, look ahead and we know that his ministry begins it says here i'll show you here in a second it says in luke that his ministry began when he was 30 years old that would be what 25 a.d roughly that jesus's ministry then we know that jesus's ministry lasted approximately either three or four years so jesus died somewhere around 28 29 30 a.d now, look at when this gospel is written. This is Matthew, who hung out with Jesus those three or four years here on earth as a disciple, and that gospel was written some 30 years later, after. Now, there's one other important date that you have to realize in that time period. Anybody know what that date is? It's after this date. It would be 70 A.D. when actually the Romans came in and killed over a million Jews and destroyed the temple. Tra track with me here for a second. The temple was built, the same temple that Jesus did ministry in year after year after year, the same one where he tipped the tables. We'll get to all these stories. But this temple was built, this is where the sacrifices were made, 
But at some point in Romans, the Romans came in at 70 A.D. and they absolutely annihilated the Jews and destroyed the temple. It's a big deal. It's an important date for you to remember as we go through this thing. So Matthew's gospel was actually written before the temple and it was destroyed. And we know this because he never refers to the temple being destroyed. Then we look at Mark. Mark's an interesting guy because... Uh, you see, John Mark is the same one that traveled with Paul on his missionary trips. This is the this, this is the same Paul. This is the same John Mark that was friends with Barnabas. So when Barnabas went to get Paul and say, "Hey, let's go on our first missionary journey. I want to bring my friend John Mark with me," Paul's like. Cool, we'll do it. And they went on their first missionary journey, and uh, obviously they got to see their first converts made into Christians, those that were followers and believers in Jesus Christ. And somewhere along the road, it got pretty rough and tough because I'm sure Paul's like dealing this message and it's not being well received, that John Mark decides, I'm bailing and going home. We don't know what the reason is, for John Mark leaving on that first missionary trip, but he bailed. And so then they returned back to Antioch, and it was time to go on a second mission trip. And Barnabas said, hey, I want to take John Mark again. And Paul's like, there's no way. And you can see the conflict throughout the scriptures. There's no way that we're taking John Mark with us because he's already proved he can't hang and deal with this stuff. So that's when Barnabas and Paul said, okay, we're just going to split up this time. You go do your thing, Paul, and I'll go do my thing with John Mark. But here's the beauty of it. In the end, near the end of Paul's life, in his letter to Timothy, he writes a letter to Timothy and he says, you know, Timothy, John Mark's worthy of doing ministry with. Like, he requalifies John Mark because he's proved himself throughout the rest of his life. He may have, like, failed him on his first missionary journey, but Paul gives him his approval. So this is that exact same John Mark that traveled with Paul. And because Paul, I think because Paul was so interested in Rome and getting to Rome and speaking to the Romans, I believe this is the reason that he wrote the book to the Romans. He wanted the Romans to understand who his Messiah was. And so when Mark writes this book, you have to understand the Roman culture. They had servants, they had slaves, they had those that helped people. And so now, all of a sudden, Mark is describing Jesus in his book as the servant of God, as the servant of Jehovah, so that these Romans would understand who their Jesus is and what he came to do. Now, if you're looking for a Messiah, you're probably looking for somebody that's coming in on his high horse and is going to, like, save the day. 
You're not looking for somebody who's going to come in and be a servant. You're not looking for somebody who's going to come in as a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, laying in a manger. You're not looking for a Messiah that's going to come to his death riding in on a donkey. You're looking for a Messiah that's totally different than that. And that is the issue. We look at Luke. Uh, Luke is the physician, the doctor. He, he traveled with Paul and he wrote Acts. Uh, he is the one that, one that wrote everything in chronological order. So when you open up that book that I described to you by A.T. Robinson, The Harmony of the Gospels, they're going to take Luke and they're going to like put Luke's book there, and then they're going to take all the other passages and they're going to like put them in there so you can see chronologically how this whole thing is laid out. It's an interesting study. Luke uh, was written around 60 to 63 A.D., and Luke was a Gentile, so he wrote to the Gentiles. He wrote to the Greeks. He was not a Jew. It's, it's interesting that he traveled with Paul, who was a Jew, to tell the story of the Messiah, but when he writes this book about Jesus, his whole audience is to the Gentiles. He's writing it as he is in Rome, and as he is writing to the Gentiles, think about this for a second. They were all about the philosophy of man. They were all about the man. So when Luke writes, he writes and portrays Jesus as the son of man. If you're looking for a perfect man, this is him, Jesus. He is the son of man. And then the fourth book we're going to talk about is the book of John. Uh we know that John was the last disciple to live. All the others had become martyrs and had died gruesome deaths. Crucifixions, upside-down crucifixions, stonings, different things like that. But John was exiled to Patmos, this little island, and some believe that he wrote his book before 70 A.D. Some believe that he wrote it after 70 A.D. I believe that he wrote it after 70 A.D. And once again, John was a Jew. He wrote to the Jews. But here's the beautiful thing about John. You know, like, when you, when you come across somebody who is a, has a sinful nature, doesn't know Jesus and they want to understand something, typically you'd give them a Bible and you'd say, here, start in the book of John. Which is like one of the most difficult books to understand. It really is. To, to understand the Gospels as we break this thing down. But here, here's what I can say about the book of John. Is John was considered, get this, the beloved of Jesus. Like Jesus referred to one of his disciples as beloved, right? He, de- he referred to him, and, and we pretty sure that it was that it was John that was referred to as the beloved. So when John wrote his gospel about Jesus, he wrote, he wrote more about what Jesus said than what Jesus did. 
Like he wrote more about who Jesus is than about all the miracles that Jesus did. And I think that seeing the miracles and hearing the stories, those are the fascinating things. But now in my, I'd say in my spiritual walk, I'm more interested in the things that Jesus said. So let's get into the Gospels real quick. Let's look at John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. And I just want to read it to you so you can hear. This is really John's testimony. Now think about it. This had been some 50 years after Jesus had died on the cross. 50 years. Like, if you got a good book in you, And he's probably got Matthew and Mark's books with him because they were written some 20 years earlier. But here's what he says. In the beginning was the Word. That Word is Logos. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. If he says the Word was with God... He's not saying that the Word was God. He's making a distinction that the Word and God are two different things, right? And the Word was with God. So he's saying the Word is distinct from God. And, the, and then he says, and the Word was God. The Jewish rabbis believed that the Word was distinct from God, but at times that it was God. And so when John writes this, he's writing to the Jews, and he's like saying, everything that you've taught all these years in the Old Covenant, I'm telling you, this is Him. He was, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's clarifying right here to all these Jewish rabbis that have taught it for years. He says, he was with God in the beginning. Now he's personified as a person, the word of God. Just as the Jewish rabbis have been teaching again also for years. John is speaking to the Jewish rabbis. He says, all things were created through him. And apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus here. Jesus was the creator of all things. Life was in him, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, yet the darkness did not overcome it. He's talking about at the cross. At the resurrection. Darkness came, but at the resurrection there was light. There was a man named John. This would be John the Baptist, not John who's writing this book. There was a man named John who was sent from God. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. John the Baptist was the precursor for Jesus. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light, the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. 
He was in the world, and the world was created through him, yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. I said that Jesus was a Jew, and the Jewish people did not receive him. His own people. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be the children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. The word became flesh, took up residence among us. The word became flesh. That was from the very beginning, took on flesh and took up residence among us, dwelt among us here on earth. How do you communicate to people that I am God and that I love you dearly? Let me, let me come here, let me come here in flesh just like them and tell them and show them. He says, The Word became flesh and took up residence among us. We observed His glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him and exclaimed, This was the one whom I said, The one coming after me has surpassed me, but he existed before me. Indeed, we have all received grace after grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Uh Uh-oh, did you hear that? The law came through Moses, that being the old covenant. And grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, that being the new covenant. He says, no one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, the one who is at the Father's side. He has revealed Him. If you have seen Jesus, you have seen the Father. That's what Jesus said. Now, uh, quickly, let me go through something because I want to get to one last part before we end here I'll blow through this real quick if you go through Luke 1 you have the birth of John the Baptist that John just spoke about Luke chapter 2 we obviously know that as the Christmas story that's the birth of Jesus we know that Joseph and Mary are from Nazareth Jesus was born in Bethlehem they had to go back to Bethlehem because uh, of taxes purposes and so they traveled there to Bethlehem Uh, in Matthew 2 they had to escape to Egypt because Herod knew that there was possibly a savior or messiah someone that was going to possibly take over his role as king so he like started killing all the the male boys so they had to escape to Egypt that's in Matthew chapter 2 then after Herod died somewhere around 4 B.C. They returned to Nazareth. That, again, is a fulfillment of prophecy in the Old Testament. And then, of course, Jesus' family traveled to Jerusalem annually for the Passover feast. The Passover feast being one that uh, they practice all the way back in Exodus when the Israelites were taken captive by the Egyptians and then they were set free. They took the blood of the lamb and put it over their doorpost so that the angel of death, when it passed over, would pass over their house. So all these years after, they've celebrated this Passover. 
you're talking hundreds of years they've celebrated this Passover and so every year they would come to Jerusalem they would bring their slaughtered they would bring their perfect animal it would be slaughtered by the priest the blood would be poured out and their sins would be atoned for not forgiven but atoned for covered right remember this the difference between atonement and forgiveness they were covered but they were never forgiven that was an annual process that happened they would make they would make this travel annually that's like leaving here from pinheads and packing up all your stuff for a week's adventure getting your mules and going as far as columbus indiana it's like 69 miles from nazareth to jerusalem every year then luke uh, chapter 2 52 watch this the only thing that we know about jesus is this he was born he went to egypt returned to nazareth they went to this passover annually one year they left him there remember that passage like they were gone for like two days and Joseph and Mary looked at each other and goes, where's Jesus? I thought you had him. They were like traveling in this huge group and they ended up having to go back to the temple to find Jesus and Jesus was sitting there with the rabbis and what was he doing? He was having a discussion with the rabbis. He's a kid. Like he's 12 years old and he's just sitting there having a discussion with the rabbis, probably teaching them stuff. And then the next thing we know is in Luke chapter 2, verse 52, it says this, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God. So therefore, that tells me, that answers your question, when Jesus was born as a baby, did he know everything? No, he didn't, because it says right here in this passage that as a teenager, as a, as a child, Jesus increased in wisdom. He, he learned. He grew physically in stature. And in favor with God. He pleased God. And with the people. The people he pleased. And Luke chapter 3, uh, that's John the Baptist ministry. Jesus is baptized and it talks about the genealogy. I want to come back next week and I want to talk a little bit about the genealogy there. Uh, not the whole message, but I do want to share some insights about that, which is amazing. And then I told you earlier about his age. It says in Luke chapter 3, verse 23, as he began his ministry, Jesus was about 30 years old. It says it right there in Luke. Luke's the chronological guy. He's the guy that's writing all the details. You probably can't read his handwriting because he was a doctor, but he's there. And then we close with this. This is a big deal. John chapter 1, verse 29 through 34. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Like, are you getting this? This is John chapter 1. This is like Jesus hasn't done anything yet. And John's identifying him, calling him out, Here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Hasn't yet happened yet. This is the one I told you about. After me comes a man who has surpassed me because he existed before me. And I didn't know him. But I came baptizing with water so he might be revealed to Israel. You see what happened here is John the Baptist came and all these people were just enthralled with John the Baptist and he actually baptized them. Baptizing means that they identify. That, that their body is like put to death and they have this new life. 
and I identify with John the Baptist with John the Baptist with what he's teaching that there's a Messiah to come that's the whole reason there's another baptism later is because they've been baptized under the identity of John the Baptist he says I came baptizing with water so he might be revealed to Israel and then it says and John testified I watched the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he rested on him. I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water told me, The one you see the Spirit descending and resting on, he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testified that he is the Son of God. John the Baptist is saying, you guys, this is it. This is it. Everything that you've been waiting for all these hundred years, that Messiah, I'm telling you right now, he's the man. He's the man. Watch. Here he comes right now. This is him. Watch the sky open up. Listen to God speak. Watch the Spirit descend on him. He's the man. He's our Savior. He's come to take all sin away in all the world. How in the world do you miss this? How in the world do you say He's not the Messiah? Are you kidding me? I look forward to our journey. I look forward to unpack. Obviously, we birthed Jesus and we've taken Him to His public ministry now, but We'll slow down a bit, and we'll walk through these stories. But it amazes me that obviously we have this word and we have this truth. And look, it's already proven that Jesus is real. History has already proven that he's a real man. And these are real things that were done. It's proven. It's history. So now... The deal is we pray that the Holy Spirit would work for you to see that this is real. That this right here is the Savior. That He is the Messiah. Father, I pray that you would again reveal and unpack your word with us. May we, as we travel through the the Gospels, may we be able to uh, sit still and breathe a little bit. May we understand from Uh, perspective of uh, you a Jew and what you taught and how you ushered in the the new covenant Lord I pray for wisdom I pray for uh, your spirit to move because it's going to be you that causes each one in this room to understand including myself so I trust you that's your deal so Lord we love you I thank you for this time together in Jesus name Amen